May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. We've got a lot to cover here on this episode, our second episode of the week as April comes to a conclusion. It's been a very eventful month here on the podcast and on the Penn State beat with the basketball roster build uh, continuing to happen day by day. The Penn State football spring practice carrying us through the 15th in the blue-white game. A bunch of commitments coming on board. If you missed our last episode, which went live on Tuesday, we broke down a couple early week commitments that impact the offensive line. This 2024 recruiting class, up to a dozen prospects now. Uh, it's been a, a tremendous growth over a short period of time this spring. And as Tyler Calvaruzzo laid out for us on Tuesday, a potential addition coming on Friday when top 24-7 running back Corey Smith plans to announce his commitment. And Penn State is the crystal ball favorite as of Thursday morning when we record. But our focus here is on the upcoming NFL draft. Maybe by the time you listen to it, this episode, round one's already in the books. Uh, we're still about nine hours away from round one starting. We'll get rounds two and three on Friday, and then the conclusion of the draft, four, five, six, and seventh rounds on Saturday. And along the way, we're expecting to hear several former Penn State players' names called. And we're going to hear a few of them right here on our upcoming segment where we try to throw some darts at the board and predict where these guys are going to get drafted. We'll discuss a little bit about the undrafted potential for this Penn State class as well. So to do that, Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon return to the Lions 24-7 podcast. Guys, hope you're doing well. And, and Mark, you did a great job constructing this thing as always and kind of giving us the blueprint for what we're supposed to do, what we're not supposed to do, and sending you all the words and our picks <laughs> and it, it it went up on Wednesday, and there's a lot to, to digest there because we include, included Tyler Calvaruso this year. So there's four different predictions being laid out. We don't get to see each other's picks before these go live. Uh, so it, it's really interesting to see how many end up crowded among each other. And obviously, uh, we're, we're of differing opinion when we get to round seven in that undrafted free agency territory of guys we think could hear their name called and, and guys who won't hear their name called. And we'll get to all that. But, Mark, thanks for thanks for putting this together again. It's been an annual tradition at Lions 24-7 since I came on board, and it's always a lot of fun. Yeah, it's one of those things that before you dive into it, you kind of dread because there's so <laughs> yes. many names. But then once you start doing it, it's so much fun because, you know, you, you've covered these guys. And then to see, you know, guess where they're going to go at the next level – uh, I don't know about you guys, but for some reason, the draft, I could just sit there and watch the whole thing kind of end to end. And to be able to add a Penn State twist to it is 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 pretty fun. And it's kind of amazing. I have the list up here now. Um, you know, a lot of our picks are right in the same kind of range. You know, Tyler Calvaruso, the newbie. Yeah, I think he's going to take some lumps. I, I think he he doesn't quite – he's covered the draft a lot, but he's not done this. So he's yeah. covered the draft from an NFL perspective, not from one team watching guys go. And you guys know there's a learning curve because you cover these guys for so long, and the initial thought, I think, is to think they're either way better than they are or not nearly as good as they are, and you really just have to settle right kind of in the middle there, and it's going to be fun to see how close we are. We, we, we score the thing. Uh, it's complicated, but it's fun, and we will keep updating the scores as the draft goes along, so we might as well dive into it. And I, I, before we do that, Daniel, you've got some background covering the NFL beat. You covered the Philadelphia Eagles, I believe, when they drafted Miles Sanders. Uh, you correct me if I'm wrong there. Uh, but did you bring any of that kind of uh, professional <laughs> coverage intel into this experience? And did you learn from the ass whooping that you took in this experiment <laughs> last year? Yeah, I think last year kind of showed that any of that uh, previous knowledge I had was going to be pretty useless in this uh, in this exercise. But, you know, you all, it feels like you always have to pick you try to pick one outlier and that can that can kind of be, you know, what you're going to you know stake your stake your claim on. And I don't really think I did that this year, <laughs> um, but it is going to be fun. I, I like this exercise a lot. Um, you know, it is really different covering this from the, the college side. Uh, where there's just so many possibilities. Um, you know, I was covering the 2021 draft uh, from the Penn State perspective when I was with Penn Live, and 
in that seventh round, you had the three picks that went off the board all in a row. Uh, and wild. it was yeah. suddenly, suddenly a scramble, which, you know, you don't really have to worry about much uh, on the NFL side, but you know, it'll be, uh, I think it'll be a, a pretty fun couple of days. Um, I think that like late Friday night is going to get interesting. And then I think we're going to have to be our, on our toes for pretty much all of Saturday. I'm with you, Mark. I, I, I cling to the couch during the NFL draft. It's been a ceremony. It's a little harder to do now with the 18 month old running around. But back <laughs> in the day, my dad used to let me have a bunch of friends over back when it was all packed into those two days. We'd, we'd, we'd have a kind of a party on Saturday. A lot of good memories there. Sometimes baseball games get in the way. But uh, let's dive into this because uh, we all are fans of the draft. We all are now able to kind of take our reporter cap off with some of these Penn State players. I think we'll be rooting for several of them to achieve their lifelong dreams here in the coming uh, days and weeks and, and months and years in the NFL level. And Joey Porter Jr. is the guy in the spotlight on Thursday night. A projected first round pick for a long time now. He was an All-American in his final season with Penn State. A starter during the last three years on campus after taking a red shirt. Uh, and with Porter, obviously you got the NFL bloodlines. So the dad was an All-Pro linebacker, played for the Steelers, played for the Dolphins, spent some time on the Steelers coaching staff. And unlike the last few years, where you know you wonder if Odafe Owe would slip in late into round one, and he ultimately did, joining Micah Parsons in point twenty-one. And then last year, you had guys like Arnold Ebikade, Jaquan Brisker, kind of on that fringe. They went early round two after Jahan Dotson goes round one. Feels like it's pre- pretty definitively Joey Porter or no one in this first round on Thursday night. And you got him coming off the board earliest, Mark Brennan. Yeah, it's kind of amazing to think that Penn State's never had a DB drafted in the first round. And I I went through uh, all of the Penn State DBs who have ever been drafted. And the highest ever, number 48, Jaquan Brisker, very recently. And Les Walters to the Baltimore Colts back in 1958. Of course. That is, it's mind-blowing. They've had had players at every other position, every other uh, skill or non-special teams position, I'm sorry, uh, going the first round. And, and and I have him going number 14 to the Patriots. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about how physical he is and how many penalties he had. And I don't think Bill Belichick is going to mind that. I think he likes physical, tough players. You look at the DBs they have now, the cornerbacks, they're 5'10 and 5'9, I think. And if you're playing in that division, the sort of length that Joey Porter brings, I mean, that ridiculous wingspan, 6'2 and a half, um, I just think he's a great fit at that spot. And I didn't want to take the low-hanging fruit. I knew somebody was going to do it. I knew somebody was going to do it, take the low-hanging fruit and have Joey Porter Jr. go to the Steelers. Didn't want to do it, so I went a little bit earlier and had him go to the Patriots at 14. I, I forget who had him going to the Steelers, but it was just that was just too obvious for, to, for me. Daniel Gallon, step on up. Yeah, well, I think I learned from my my lessons last year that maybe going going the obvious way uh, is a is a good way to to get some points. But yeah, I have Joey Porter Jr. going to the uh, Steelers at at number 17 overall. Um, it was interesting. I I did one last mock draft roundup on Wednesday. Uh, and the most popular pick for Porter there was at 16 uh, going to the commanders, um, which will be interesting to watch. But, you know, I think the Steelers are, you know, they're really going some undergoing a little bit of organizational change, you know, moving on from Ben mm-hmm. Roethlisberger uh, to Kenny Pickett last year. You know, a lot of these guys that have been on that defense for a long time. Um, I think that you're looking for a little bit of youth there. And yeah, I think that you look at the division and the side of the the league that they're on, you know, you're in a division with Joe Burrow, Deshaun Watson. Um, you don't really know what's going to happen with Lamar Jackson. Uh, and then beyond that, you know, guys like Josh Allen uh, also on in the AFC. Um, so I think it makes sense for, for Pittsburgh. Um, yeah. It's the type of pick that it, it wouldn't surprise me uh, that Mike Tomlin would make. I think that he's someone who's, pretty in, intentional uh, in some of these decisions that he makes. And you know, when, when he gets a, a favorite, um, I think he, he sometimes sticks to that. I mean, you looked at the the number of Maryland guys that he drafted and then his son ends up going to Maryland. Um, I think that you can look at connections with him uh, a, a little bit. And I think that, I think that's where Joey Porter jr. Will end up. I don't think he's going to have to go far. 
Um, and I've got him just lasting a, a, just a few more picks going to the Seattle Seahawks at, at pick 20. Historically, Pete Carroll, this franchise, have not invested in, in, in high-level uh, draft picks at the defensive back position, which is kind of surprising considering the success they've had there, especially during the Super Bowl uh, runs. But I, I think when you look at this team, they're, they're getting to pick inside the top 10 because of the horrific Denver Broncos deal that, that brought Russell Wilson to Denver. Um, and, and this is kind of a luxury for them. You know, They'll take care of business. Maybe they'll trade back out of that top 10 position. Maybe they'll take a quarterback to work beyond Geno Smith. But I think by the time they get to that 20th pick, and if a guy like Joey Porter Jr. is still sitting on the board, hard not to take this secondary from really solid right now to potentially the division's best. And I think they're right there as a division title contender, so they, they can afford to make this kind of a pick to pad the back end after what they do at the top end of round one. So we've all got Porter going in the top 20. You know, smoking mirrors with Porter right now, it's hard to tell. Uh, you know, there's reports out of Pittsburgh that, that they're not going to touch him in round one. Anything that surfaces here on Thursday morning of NFL draft weekend, I would really not believe or buy into. Other uh, than this. Gen- other than, the, other than, other than this. Yeah, yeah, this is obviously gospel. But when it comes to Porter, um, you look at the way it's trending. There was a period there, maybe right before the combine, where, where we saw him popping up in top 10 of mock drafts. Now it's settling somewhere maybe between 14 to 25 range. That works just fine for Joey Porter if he gets that landing spot. He's been out in Southern California working uh, for this opportunity, and he will be at the NFL draft in Kansas City. Our next, uh, we're going to work in order of kind of the, the composite placement. And I should say, by the way, I don't want to shortchange what Tyler Calvaruso contributed to the conversation. Calvaruso also has him going to the Seattle Seahawks, and he's a very smart man. I'm happy to have Tyler on the staff. Now, Jair Brown is the consensus number two guy when we work down our, our draft board here. And once again, Mark, you're the highest. And this one has a hometown flavor for an Eagles fan on the conversation. Yeah, it does. And it comes with a little bit of a caveat. I mean, I have him going with the next to last pick in the second round, which which is pretty high to my beloved Philadelphia Eagles. They obviously lost to their two starting safeties uh, to free agency. So uh, it's a position of need. I think he's the kind of cerebral uh, you know, just feel for a game guy who could come in and not, if not start, play immediately, give you a lot on special teams. I also think knowing Howie Roseman, and this could come into play in the first round with the Eagles as well, you know, the, the trade, the whole trade back thing, you know, trying to, to gain draft capital. So, you know, I'm predicting that he goes there with that next to last pick of the second round, but I could easily see them moving that pick, maybe moving back toward the middle of the third round gaining some later draft picks and picking him there. But I think he would be a great fit. I think great minds are thinking kind of that way, that that, that sending him to Philadelphia uh, would be a good idea. So I have him going there with the next-to-last pick of the second round. Pick 62. Uh, the rest of us have him going round three. Um, I'm next here. I got him at number 78 overall, 15 picks into the third round, going to the Green Bay Packers. Uh, and, and, I mean, I think he's going to have a lot in common with Brisker after the Lackawanna to Penn State stardom pipeline kind of thing. But the next commonality, I think, is they're going to be un- undervalued in their respective drafts. I think Jaquan Brisker was a first-round talent last year. I thought he played like one over the course of his rookie season. Um, I-, I think if he falls out of round two, if he falls out of the, really the top 50 to 60 picks, in my opinion, uh, then then you're getting a tremendous value in Jair Brown because it's going to come together for him in the football field. I think we've seen that, but it's a great addition to your locker room. This guy is captain material all the way. And I've been selling everybody who will listen uh, in my extended family back in South Jersey on Jair Brown being a really strong day two pickup for the Eagles if they make that kind of a splash. So, uh, But I've got him going to the Packers here at 78 overall. Don't have much insight on your Green Bay Packers, Daniel, but it seems they could use some help in the secondary. And this would pair him up with the former Penn State defensive back and Adrian Amos. Uh, by the way, Tyler Calvaruzzo next, 84th overall to the Miami Dolphins. And then, uh, Daniel, you round out things here on Jair Brown. Yeah, I went on the the same kind of uh, wavelength as Mark with uh, Jair Brown going to the Eagles, uh, this time at the end of the third round uh, at, at number 94 overall. Um, I think Jair, is a, Jair Brown is a really kind of interesting draft case when you look at the tape and the production um, and what he was able to do when he was at Penn State. And then trying to square that with the athletic testing numbers, uh, which you know didn't necessarily wow you. Um, and I think that that has probably contributed a little bit to you know the sort of a, a lack of buzz uh, around Brown uh, in, in this process. But I do believe that wherever he ends up, he'll be able to to find success, and Philadelphia would be a good opportunity. There is a need there. 
um, the Eagles haven't necessarily put you know big money or big resources into that safety position uh, under Howie Roseman. Um, you know they've they've made some savvy calls here and there, and I think that Brown would be one uh, with in this in this draft class because you look at the safeties they have on the roster right now. Um, you know I, I don't necessarily know how how good you would feel about rolling with Reed Blankenship uh, in Week One uh, and, and some of the other guys they have there, and I think Brown would be a, a great addition for Philadelphia. And it would bring him back close to home. Uh, Trenton native, of course, well-documented now. Uh, no scholarship offers coming out of high school. Had a Division three opportunity. Uh, opted to go the junior college route. I'm proud to say on this podcast, we were one of the first people to, to have Jair open up about that before he enrolled at Penn State. Everyone knows that story now. And by the end of his career at Penn State, he was back-to-back years leading the team in takeaways, uh, led the team in tackles in 2022, also Rose Bowl defensive MVP to cap off his career, uh, which was a three-year stay here in State College. Uh, let's roll on to the tight end position. Brenton Strange stepped up a couple of years back as Pat Fryermuth went on as a second-round draft pick. Pat Fryermuth, of course, followed a second-round draft pick and Mike Kosicki. Brenton Strange has been a guy who's consistently been popping up in, in day-two projections now. In that round two, round three range, coming off a season in which he caught 32 passes for 362 yards and five touchdowns, really exploded in that first month of September on the stat sheet, quieted down as Theo Johnson picked things up, and the ground game did a lot of the heavy lifting down the stretch. But this is a guy who worked his butt off as a blocker every step of the way, uh, and I think that is really uh, – you look at what he can do in a backfield potentially for you at the NFL as an H-back. Uh, you're the highest on the draft board here, Daniel Gallon. so lead us off. Yeah, I, I, you know, now that I look at it, I'm almost higher than I thought I was uh, on him. <laughs> but I've got Brenton Strange going at the end of the second round, number 60 overall to the Bengals. Um, you know, Bengals have a need there. He can fill it. Um, I think Strange is, as a prospect, I think Strange is, is pretty interesting because he's not that sort of, you know, he's not that Pat Fryermuth type uh, in terms of the, the big body guy that it seems like a lot of NFL teams are looking for right now. Um, I thought it was interesting that in the pre-draft process, he actually gained an inch on his listed height. Penn State had him at at 6'3", and he measured in at at 6'4", at the combine, which typically at at this stage, it's the inverse. Um, So I thought that was an interesting note. But I think that in terms of the draft mechanics and and where Brenton Strange could end up going, um, I think that there's there's the clear top two talents with Dalton Kincaid and Matthew Meyer who could go in the first round. But I think that there's a, a really, really big kind of mess of second round guys. Um, I think Darnell Washington from Georgia is, is maybe the headliner there. Um, so I could see there being a run on tight ends where you know, one team picks one and then it just kind of it snowballs a little bit. And uh, Strange kind of gets wrapped up in that with a team being like, well, we need our tight end now. Let's do it. Let's get Brenton Strange. Um, so that's kind of the you know, some of the mechanics. But I think that he's an interesting pro prospect because he can do a lot of different things. He can be kind of that H back sometimes. Um, and I think that that I think that versatility you know, does make him appealing. And back at Penn State Pro Day, uh, you know, Brenton Strange really put it out there. Tight end you is how he feels about Penn State. <laughs> and if they're able to string together, as you project, three consecutive tight end starters turning into second round picks in the NFL draft. I mean, much less day two picks, which is where Mark and I have him. And Mark, you're up next. You've got him going to Daniel Gallons, Green Bay Packers, and their new quarterback, Jordan Love. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes the draft experts who I think do an unbelievable job, I mean, to to, to be able to know so much about all these different players, it's very difficult for, for just to get all this Penn State stuff and we've been following these guys. But I think sometimes they get so wrapped up in the testing numbers and, you know, I look back at last season and where I have trouble imagining Brenton Strange going in the second round is I think people look at last season and you see the drop off in production in the second half of the year toward the end of the season. And it just wasn't there. The consistent production wasn't there. And if somebody's going to spend a second round pick, man, you better be absolutely sure that it's going to be a consistent player for you. So I am dropping middle of the third round to those. Uh, Daniel's beloved Green Bay Packers. They got base. They have basically no tight end production coming back. I think he's a guy who can fit right in and be a productive player for them. You know, again, if he's able to show that level of consistency. But I mean, the the Packers, I think, need help in a lot of different areas, and uh, tight end is clearly one of them. And I think he could help them out there. 
Yeah, I've got him lasting just a little while longer. And, and talk about a barren wasteland of a tight end room on the surface, at least. The Detroit Lions, they they, they parted ways last season with former first-round pick TJ Hawkinson via trade. Uh, seemed like a good time for them to invest in a, in a you know top three-round talent at the tight end spot. They haven't worked that position at, at free agency. So I got Brenton Strange joining a, an on-the-rise franchise, it would appear. Uh, you never know when, when you know it, the, the bottom's going to fall out for a franchise like Detroit Lions. But they may just be a couple pieces away, especially on offense from from being one of the better teams in the conference um and and this will be a nice addition for them at, at tight end and uh you know what i think brenton strange really brings uh, he's, he's gotten a buttoned up body control approach downfield and, and you look at some of the other uh tight ends who may have the edge on him in, in terms of size and maybe sheer one-on-one matchups but there's more of a lumbering awkward nature to them downfield so We'll find out. I think Brenton Strange is not going to fall nearly as far as Tyler Calvaruso projects, and this is where he brings down the consensus uh, standing for, for Strange in our in our rundown here. Uh, Calvaruso has him going also to the Detroit Lions, but uh, 78 picks later, pick 159 in round five. So uh, Tyler Calvaruso also on board with me like he was with, with Joey Porter, but we certainly differ on where Brenton Strange lands, and that, that's the one that could really determine – just how well young Mr. Tyler Calvaruzzo does in, in this contest. And hey, Tyler, we were, all yeah. within, we were all within 21 picks of each other, and he was how many below 70? 78. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> Wait, but we're we're pretty we're pretty clustered up here as well. So either he's going to be way ahead of us, or yes. he's going to be basically out of it by the time Brenton Strange is picked. <laughs> Yeah, we'll have a good feel on Tyler Caparuso's status when Friday night comes to a close. <laughs> um, but but Juice Scruggs, I mean, there's so many great stories in, in every Penn State draft class, and, and this one's you, know, you, can, you can go down the list of, of why it's a special journey for each one of these guys. But Juice Scruggs, we weren't sure we'd see him back on a practice field in, in pads at an early stage of his career. Remember, he was a celebrated offensive line recruit coming out of high school came in with that Herald 2018 recruiting class, took a red shirt uh, as a freshman, and then he was in that car accident, spring of 2019, and, and everything kind of gets cast aside from a football perspective. You're focused on the human. He resurfaces on the field a couple years later as a contributor in 2021, work or in 2020 and then and then th thoroughly in 2021 as a starter finishes as a two-year starter a team captain last year uh and, and i just wanted to make sure that was all out in the open before we talk about the football player here daniel gallon you lead us off you've got him going round four and the rest of us have him in round five i've got him uh pick 31 in round four 133rd overall to the chicago bears um the bears you know, the they need to really build things up uh, around Justin Fields um, if they, you know, really want to make that work. Uh, you know, really commit to him and, you know, I guess make something happen. Um, you know, that has not really been the most uh, aesthetically pleasing offense to watch um, over the past couple of years, even before this current regime. Um, and I think bringing in Drew Scruggs, um, you know, Chicago signed Lucas Patrick this off season, uh, who was a, a longtime Packers offensive lineman who played some center, but. I think that if you bring Scruggs in, you know that he can play the guard spots, you know that he can play center. Um, and I think that that's some good uh, interior versatility uh, that could help in front of a, a young quarterback as you try to, you know, build a base, you know, always got to start building in the trenches um, and then going from there. Yeah. yeah and, and you were fairly polite to Chicago. Uh, their, their interior <laughs> offensive line, just absolutely garbage uh, for, for much of last season. And Justin Fields suffered for it. So did my fantasy team as a result, but I've got <laughs> Chicago picking him up as well. Round five, pick 13. So I guess 14, 15 picks later, this is a point in the draft where you see some teams have clustered up picks. So for the reasons you said, I think this would be a good investment for the Bears. Juice Krugs, I think, is an ascending figure in his trajectory. Uh, he was ascending when he got to campus as that top flight prospect. There were a few years where there was just a lot of gray area. We weren't sure how he's going to come out of it, but I think he's back to being that ascending prospect and really excited to see what his future holds at the next level. Uh, Mark, you've got him in round five, uh, 14 picks after I do pick 162 to the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 again, similar, similar to what Daniel said, you have a guy who has positional versatility could play all three of those interior spots. I think he would have gone earlier if he were a little taller and longer and had the ability to be flexible enough on those NFL to play tackled as well on those NFL rosters. They're so limited in the number of uh, active offensive linemen they could have, but I do think the ability to play all three of those positions 
uh, really is going to serve him well. I also think you have a young coach there, uh, kind of a rebuilding program. This is a guy who did not play, you know, a ton of football at Penn State. He's still kind of a young sort of player, and I think there's still development to be had, and I think he's the kind of guy, the kind of athlete who could be in the league for, you know, 10, 12, 13 years. So I think he's a really good foundational piece for that offensive line in Indianapolis, whether he starts this year or not. I think he's going to be a good addition for them. By the way, Tyler Calvaruso, right in between myself and, and Daniel, he's got uh, four picks before I have him going to the Bears. Tyler has him going to the Las Vegas Raiders with 144 overall. Now, coming off of the October performance against Ohio State, in which he had 11 catches for 179 yards, he probably would not have anticipated that Parker Washington will be this far down the list of names as we project things. But obviously, his his entire outlook for the draft became far more uncertain with that November injury suffered on the practice field. Talked about it at Pro Day, rolling up on his ankle. They gave him a timeline of recovery after that injury uh, uh, of right about five to six months range, and that puts him right about on the same timeline as the NFL draft process. Thus, he did not participate at the NFL scouting combine. He got out there. He interacted, but he was not on the field. Same deal with uh, Penn State's Pro Day. He was there. He spoke with us and the group of reporters, but he was not on the field for, for action. And now he enters this draft as a guy who, man, there's just – potentially a tremendous value for him if you're going to get him at some point on day three considering the kind of contested catches we saw Parker Washington make the impact that he made right off the bat as a first-year freshman uh, during COVID nonetheless and now here he is we're talking about him dangling there for the taking in round five really a good option for, for an offense that wants that 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 one more piece in the passing game, and I think the Buffalo Bills fit the bill. Uh, I've got him going at 137 overall, the second pick of round five. Um, so actually a little bit ahead of, of Juice Scruggs on my draft board. Uh, I think with Parker Washington and with the Bills, they've got some serious cash tied up at that position. Uh, they've got serious cash tied up at the quarterback position. That's not going to change. So anytime you can find affordable uh, and controlled talent at a premium spot like this and you can get them at round five pricing, I think this is hard to turn down for a team like the Chiefs for a team like the Bills, maybe even a team like the Eagles who are going to have so much finances with the star caliber players who are currently in their prime. So I think the Bills see a fit here at the top of round five. And if he can put it together coming off that health, you know, I, I want to see what he looks like uh, working against NFL caliber defenders. But this is a guy who I think played above his prospect profile coming out of high school. And I think he's got a chance to do that again, making the jump to the professional level. Um, who's next here? It's Tyler Calvaruso. Round five, pick 10, Carolina Panthers. And then a little ways down, 16 picks later, Mark Brennan, you have him coming off the board to the Houston Texans, which is like the opposite of what I laid out for the potential <laughs> landing spot and an offense for Parker Washington. Well, yeah, I mean, I, listen, I obviously spend way too much time on this stuff. And I went and looked at who the Houston Texas ha Texans have at wide receiver. <laughs> you know, that, that's another new coaching situation. But they brought in all these guys on very short contracts. I mean, like one, maybe two-year contracts. And I think that's a perfect situation for a local kid from Sugarland, right there near Houston, to redshirt. I mean, do we really think he's going to be 100% in time for, for – uh, uh, summer summer camp or whatever you call it, training camp. Uh, I don't know, but this way, I mean that this is a kind of high risk, high reward. You could pick this kid up, and if he's ready to go this year, great. If he's not, that team stinks. They're not going to be any good. Uh, they're in a rebuilding mode with a new coach. Let him redshirt this year. You know, stash him on injured reserve, whatever the heck it's called, and uh, and have him ready to go for the following year. So, I give him a lot of credit. I mean, he said he's gambling on himself. And I think this would be part of that, you know, understanding that you may not be able to make an impact as a rookie. So we'll we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, I'm looking at it the other end for a team that's not very good being able to kind of stash them for a year. And then Daniel Gallon, uh, you can finish things off here. And we're of the same frame of mind, it seems here. <laughs> I uh, There's just something about Parker Washington that just and this his situation that just says fifth round pick. I, I don't really know what exactly it is, but. When I did another one of the when I did the roundup on Wednesday, uh, the the four seven round mocks that I did, one had him as a third round pick, which, which felt like a little bit of an outlier. But then the other three also had Parker Washington as a fifth round pick. Um, so I have <clears throat> met the end of the fifth round, uh, number one sixty six overall to the Chiefs. Uh, kind of like what Mark was talking about with Washington, sort of getting to take a taking sort of a, a redshirt year with this. 
Um, I think that he can be sort of a luxury pick um, for a team that already has an infrastructure in place um, and a way that they can use him. Um, I think that Kansas City might fit that bill a little bit. Um, in the mock draft roundup that I did in the fifth round, um, the analyst that I put together had him with the Packers, the Rams, and the 49ers. And that got my, I saw that after I did this, but the idea of him being in one of those Shanahan, uh, as part of the Shanahan tree, you know, a McVay type offense, I think would be really interesting given what we know with his skill set. So I think that he's someone that, you know, a team later in the draft that, might not necessarily need him to contribute right away, but can use him in a unique way, take advantage of what he can do well. Um, I think that he could end up on in a very good uh, situation when when all is said and done. This is when we're done agreeing uh, on things here. So as we all just had Parker Washington in the same round, we're not getting to a spot where uh, Mitchell Tinsley is next up on the board, another wide receiver from Penn State. And we got a range here from round six to not drafted at all. And just a reminder, Mitchell Tinsley, of course, put up bonkers numbers uh, at Western Kentucky where that whole offense put together video game numbers in 2021. 87 catches, 1,400 yards, 14 touchdowns. He makes the jump to Power 5 football at Penn State. He's a starter from game one on. Sean Clifford looked his way in key situations from game one on. And if you recall, key third down target, he was a chain mover for much of his career with Penn State. Um, 51 catches for 50, 577 yards doesn't jump off the page. But you remember, he was Penn State's leader in catches with those 51 receptions. That's just the way the offense worked last year. Very different uh, setup than when we saw uh, a lot of deep targets to Jahan Dotson and very few yards turned up out of the backfield one season prior. So, there's obviously a big yo-yo when you look at production from Mitchell Tinsley and, and Tyler Calvaruzzo is highest on, on him here going uh, round six, pick 200 overall to the Los Angeles Chargers. But you're right there as well, Daniel Gallen. Round six, pick 30 to the Green Bay Packers. So I know this one was very special to you. <laughs> Break it down for us. Yeah, I mean, I think that when you look at wide receiver in the you know, more modern NFL um, yeah, you need a lot of guys, you know, you see all the, the three, four, even five wide receiver sets. Um, you know, it's not really the, the I formation two wides anymore. Um, and so I think that you can afford to throw some darts, uh, later, uh, you know, later in the draft. And I think the Packers are, are well positioned to do that. You know, you lose Randall Cobb, you lose Alan Lazard. Um, you have Christian Watson, who is a different type of player than Mitchell Tinsley uh, coming back. And, you know, I think that you got to give Jordan Love uh, at least some help uh, early in his career. Um, you know, whether or not Tinsley sticks long term, um, I think that he's more of a, a high floor player, um, you know, at, at this stage of the draft. Um, but I think that he's someone that that the Packers could bring in. Um, you know, have him as a possession receiver, just someone who can be really steady. Um, and I think that he could be a good value uh, at this point in the draft. But I think that once you get into these fifth, sixth, seventh rounds, uh, you know, just start throwing some darts, see what you can get. Uh, and I think that Tinsley would be, uh, you know, a, a good dart to throw for Green Bay. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, I feel the same way about the San Francisco 49ers in, in round seven. You could, I could throw a dart at any of those teams in round seven. I think Mitchell Tinsley enters the league as a seventh round pick and is on an active roster when the regular season opens. I, I think he is going to stick 
on a roster when preseason camp ends. I know that might be lofty. Uh, you don't see a lot of seventh round picks stick that long, uh, but but I like his chances here. Uh, and I'm going to say it happens with the 49ers. Uh, and, and Mark, you noted this in your rundown. This is a guy who's it looks pedestrian on the stat sheet, 11 yards per catch, but he did some good things for himself out at the NFL Combine, which he got a chance to go out to. You know, maybe he was on that fringe of the list. He got a chance to go out to Indianapolis. He did participate. Went low four fives in the forty yard dash. Went almost thirty six inches in the vertical. So he did show some explosive traits out in Indianapolis, which I think maybe doesn't marry to the film per se. But I think the combination of the production at a couple of different levels of football, the consistency in the catch rate at Penn State, and how glowingly people are going to report on his one year on campus upon making that leap to a much different kind of an organization when it comes to football, I think it all adds up in his favor to getting drafted. Mark, you don't see it the same way as of now. You've got him going undrafted yeah i hope i'm wrong because at this point i could become a mitchell tinsley fan uh but even if he doesn't get drafted he's going to be a priority guy with a lot of different options so he'll be able to get into a good position uh, you know but i just look at that you know his longest catch last year was 34 yards you mentioned it 11.3 yards per 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 catch uh those numbers just don't pop out at you whatsoever i also think you look at this draft and i don't think it's as top heavy with receivers uh, as some more recent drafts, even last year, but I think if you look at the overall depth of the receiver of the receivers in this draft, I think that's going to work against him. So I was I had him kind of in that similar area where you were, Tyler, but just I I, I couldn't I couldn't put it over the edge. So I have him being a priority free agent. Wish him the best of luck, and and I hope he proves me wrong. But then again, maybe I don't hope he proves me wrong. As I said, you know, sometimes uh, we'll mention it with some of the other players. Sometimes, you know, not going very late in the draft uh, could be a bonus if you end up being a free agent and can pick your spot. We'll talk about a few of those guys, but rounding out uh, some draft projections here late in, in round seven, uh, Daniel, Tyler Calvaruso, uh, and my, or I'm sorry, Daniel, Mark Bryan, and myself all have PJ Musk for hearing his name called on Saturday. Tyler Calvaruso has him as a priority on drafted free agent. And, and Daniel, you're the highest here on, on uh, Mustafer going to the New England Patriots with the 28th pick of round seven. That's 245 overall. Yeah, we there was some buzz uh, out at the Shrine Shrine Bowl uh, in, in February, uh, which where the Patriots coached Mustafer um, on that team. So there's a relationship. They they've had the chance to get to know him. Um, they have five picks between the sixth and seventh round. Um, so I think that that's a, a good opportunity to take a flyer um, on on someone like PJ. I mean, we know that you know, we know that he interviewed well. Uh, with any of the NFL teams that that we talked to, and we know that he was probably able to, you know, communicate, um, you know, what his situation is right now, you know, what the season was like for him uh, to give the teams, you know, the the information that they need. Um, and I think that you know some of the, you know, it, you know every year you, you see the things where someone gets drafted and they were like, yeah, I never talked to this team, <laughs> you know, that you know I didn't visit this team, never heard from anyone. Um, I think the opposite will happen here. Uh, I think that the Patriots will be able to use that familiarity, you know, bring Mustafer uh, into the fold, you know, not have to bring him along super quickly. Um, and then he can find his footing um, and, and get to where he needs to be to potentially be a contributor. Yeah, I really respect the way PJ Mustafer has been been honest and, and open about his journey since that October 2020, 2021 injury at different periods of last season even after he returned to the field and, and was getting all those starters reps, he would tell us, I'm not back to where I need to be. I'm going to be honest with you. And, and you saw that reflected in some of the performances and, and, and certainly some of the production. Um, but he was a mainstay out there. He, 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 but it's, he can't help but wonder, you know, going back to that Iowa matchup, uh, where P.J. Muster was, he ended up earning second team all Big Ten honors that season based on six games, fewer than six full games. You wonder where was his draft stock in that moment compared to where it is now. And look, someone's going to get an absolute home run of a steal late if P.J. Mustafer truly is on his way back to rounding into full form physically because uh, he, he's not only is he going to be that presence and a guy that you can put in that defensive tackle rotation, but we all know what P.J. Mustafer is like to be around. He's the kind of guy that, that you try to keep in your locker room and you fight to keep in your locker room as a front office one way or the other. I got the Pittsburgh Steelers scooping him up here. I'm sure that would make a lot of Steelers slash Penn State fans thrilled. Um, 251 overall in round seven. 
34 picks into that round. Um, they've got some money tied up in some veteran defensive tackles toward the top of the depth chart. This gives them an option to, to pad the bottom of the depth chart a little bit with a low-priced option, and I think it's a high-ceiling pick uh, because of what you might be getting. Now, we don't know the medicals on P.J. Mustafer, and they may tell a completely different story about his ceiling, but based on what we understand and based on what we saw from P.J. Mustafer and what we know about his pedigree and athletic profile – I like his chances to stick in this league if he can get healthy. And again, a, a really valuable pick at round seven if the Steelers pull it off. Yeah, and I have him going next to last. Uh, he just missed out on being Mr. Irrelevant, which isn't necessarily a bad thing anymore, right? I mean, it's, it's, right. Some, 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 some players have, have made it work. But, you know, I, I looked at his uh, testing numbers at the Combine, and they just weren't very good. And then he didn't test again at pro day. And I have to just imagine that he's, he's still not where he needs to be. And he probably just realized I'm, I'm just not ready to, to post the kind of numbers that maybe he could have uh, pre-injury, but I'm with you. I mean, I think he's a guy that if he gets into a camp um, he is going to get into a camp and he's healthy. I think he has a chance for a long career. So I have a little bit of a family twist. I have him going to the Chicago bears whose yeah. interior offensive line, which you bashed earlier, <laughs> contains Sam Mustafer, who got the boot. He's he was a free agent, and they didn't resign him. So, Mister and Mister Mrs. Mustafer, you know they have sixty-seven jerseys. This will be perfect. PJ could go there. Defensive lineman could wear sixty-seven, and they could just keep their jerseys. But in all seriousness, I mean, obviously, uh, there's been some coaching changes and whatnot. Uh, you know, over the last few years. Um, in Chicago, but Sam Mustafer was a guy who arrived there as an undrafted free agent. And as much as uh, uh, abuse as that O-line took, he, there's something to be said for somebody who rose to be a starting center for the last two years, even if he's not still there. So I think they know about the work ethic that this the, the kids in this family have. I think they know about the intelligence. I think all those little intangible things will make him a very late draft pick. Uh, and I do think that there's still room in the NFL, maybe not like there once was, but for these big run-stuffing bulldozers, uh, maybe not every down, but you need one or two of these guys on your roster uh, for, for when you get into short yard situations. And look forward to P.J. getting an opportunity, and I think he will be whether he's drafted or not. I think he has an opportunity to be in a league for a long time. His older brother, by the way, was also a team captain at Notre Dame. And, and with, with P.J. Mustafer, I just think back to that with opener at Wisconsin in 2021, which was they needed every bit of that defensive effort to come home with a win. Mustafer played like 80 snaps that, that afternoon, and it really set the tone for what that campaign was like for him prior to the injury. Now, that's all we have in terms of guys getting drafted from us. Uh, that brings us to the most divisive figure in this class, I mean, rookie class for Penn State. I mean, he's been a divisive figure here at Penn State, record-setting career when it was all said and done. But Sean Clifford, who talked to us at Pro Day about being snubbed at the NFL draft, I think he's going to be watching a lot of names, hearing a lot of names being called over the course of the draft from quarterbacks who have accomplished far less than him at the college level. He's got a guy who he spent three years in the quarterback room who's probably going to be going early on Thursday night, Will Levis. So the chip on the shoulder that has driven Sean Clifford to become the blue chip quarterback prospect and a state champion at St. Xavier in Cincinnati and ultimately a four-year starter at Penn State, that's going to continue to grow over the course of this weekend. And I'm really intrigued by where Sean Clifford goes because if he gets his pick here and he tries to find the right fit, we're talking about a guy who just worked with four different offensive coordinators in a very short span. And he told us that was going to be a strength for him, be able to sit down in rooms with NFL teams and, and show that kind of versatile mind and what it takes to grasp an offense. And I'm just really intrigued here because I don't think he's going to get drafted. And I want to find where Sean Clifford believes is his best chance. I think that's going to be really revealing Mark Brennan, what do you think about this one? We were front and center when Sean Clifford uh, stepped in front of the microphones back at Pro Day. Yeah, he said he was snubbed. I mean, it usually, was, you know, how did you feel about that? Oh, I was snubbed. I mean, you know, he made no uh, bones about it. But listen, I mentioned that that it has become kind of a cliche to say that somebody's better off not getting drafted. But I think he is the ultimate example of this because mm -hmm. he and his agent could sit back and see who goes where in the draft. It's not going to matter where Levis or anybody, any of those top guys go. But when you get to the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh round, you can see who's taking quarterbacks. And then you could take a step back 
and you could look at the landscape of NFL football and see what are the programs that need third third team quarterbacks that need backup quarterbacks where you can fight and you can pick your fights. And I think that's going to be a great situation for him because I think all of us agree if he gets in a room, I mean, he's going to be impressive just in the way he carries himself and presents himself. Uh, you know, obviously there are some issues with, with his arm strength, but is that always what people are looking for in a third team quarterback? Sometimes it goes back to what you're talking about, Tyler, where, you know, they're, they're looking for a guy who can pick things up quickly, who could go into a game on a moment's notice. And I think he's the kind of sharp, smart athlete who's able to do that. He actually ran pretty well at Penn State Pro Day as well. So I think he has those things working for him. And he's really a guy I'm going to be pulling for. Uh, again, it's fun to be able to, to become fans of these guys. Uh, but he was always cool with us after wins, after losses. You know, sometimes he was angry, but he was always good to deal with, always showed up, never ducked us. And uh, he's the kind of guy that, that as a writer, you know, now it's going to be fun to be a fan and see what he's able to do in the league. And then if it doesn't work out, I mean, he's obviously going to be successful or whatever the hell he does. Uh, so, <laughs> so it's really not going to be that big of an issue. But I'm anxious to see him get his opportunity. Yeah, highly accountable individual. I'll, I'll double down on what you said. And I'm just going to say, I, I know that there might be others on this podcast who weren't with me on this, but I really think that those who are, are waving Clifford to the side as a guy who's going to be fodder in camp and not really even make it to a preseason game, I disagree there. I, I, I And maybe that's where the wheels come off when, when he gets some action against opposing NFL teams live and preseason work in August, maybe that's where where he shows up and, and works through and, and earns a practice squad spot or even better than that. But I think he is going to last with the team. Maybe it takes a couple rosters for him here in 2023 to find the right fit. But the fact that he gets to decide where that first fit is, it's going to give him a bit of a built-in advantage versus going with the third to last pick in round seven and getting shoved into a room and, and whether you like it or not. And, and Daniel, you and Tyler Calvaruso, um, a little less wordy with your summaries about uh, about uh, Sean Clifford uh, up on our on our uh, contest here, but uh, you know, weigh in how, how you'd like here. Yeah, I, I think you guys really covered it. Um, I think one thing with Clifford in, in talking about his ability to to pick things up quickly and, and having the experience in, in all these different offenses, you know, if he does end up somewhere where he's that third quarterback or you know, is being stashed on the practice squad, he's going to have to run scout team. You know, he's going to have to be this, the scout team quarterback. And I think that, you know, that ability to, to pick things up, um, you know, to know these systems, to be able to give looks, um, you know, I think that that is something that you know, is valuable and, and underrated. Um, but, you know, I, I think that he has a couple of you know, different things, uh, you know, working against him in terms of his age. Um, you know, he'll be 25 uh, when, when camp opens, um, you know, the arm strength and you know, the kind of you know, up and down production over the course of his career. Um, but, you know, I do think that he fits the profile of a, a quarterback that, you know, some NFL team, um, you know, maybe one with a really offensive minded quarterback centric coach you know, is interested in, wants to bring in, wants to get a closer look at, wants to figure out, you know, what he can add uh, to the room you know, what, what he can do, uh, you know, maybe behind the scenes. Um, I, I think, I think he'll find a home. Um, I think that you know, his resume and his track record lends itself to that. Um, and, you know, as we, as we said, as a cliche, I mean, he would definitely be, be served well uh, by having the opportunity to, to pick his location. And Clifford, by the way, um, with this sixth year of college eligibility he took advantage of, I know it felt like a roller coaster ride in 2022 at times for fans and, and maybe here on the podcast as well. Uh, but he ended up with career highs uh, in completion percentage, 64 percent. That was up three full points from his previous high uh, touchdown passes with 24 of them. And, and along the way, career low in interceptions, uh, seven interceptions thrown in 13 games, of course, finishing off as, as Rose Bowl MVP with arguably his most polished performance in a Penn State uniform against Utah out in Pasadena. Uh, we've got a few more names to get to, and, and that was obviously the big headliner uh, among the projected undrafted guys. Nick Tarburton next on the list here, and and, and I would argue that that he's a guy who, man, I, I was tempted to put uh, John Scott uh, uh, with P.J. Mustafer. I'm really curious if, if he gets a familiar phone call after round seven, Nick Tarburton, and, and it's from up there in Detroit. Yeah, I, I think that that would be a very, a very interesting fit for him. Um, I think you and I both went priority uh, with Tar Burton while yes. Mark and Tyler C went one as a tryout. You know, I think the fact that 
Tarburton played on the defensive line. And, you know, when you talk about building in the trenches, that's an area where teams are going to want to take lots of swings. Uh, He showed that he could stay healthy over the past two years. Um, I think you kind of know what you're getting in him as a player. You know, we didn't necessarily see that big step forward when it came to pass rushing. Um, But, you know, he was very solid. You know, he was able to to play his role. Um, And I think that, you know, what he's shown, his profile, you know, I think that it'll be something where a team will look at that and want to sign him as one of those UDFAs um, as opposed to a tryout player. So, you know, I think that he's someone that we're going to be hearing about Saturday night. Now, as finding his home, you know, relatively quickly and, and knowing what that next step is going to be. Morgan, you noted in, in your write up for this piece that that he did come through with with a solid pro day and he had waited his turn. He came on the podcast with us back in February, I think it was, or, or maybe it was early March and you know, didn't get that shot in Indianapolis. And, and I thought he maximized what he was able to do in Haluba Hall that afternoon. Yeah, I mean, he was four, eight, four and a 40, which isn't great for for two fifty one. But I think it's good enough to get a look at mm-hmm. a camp. And then the shuttle at 439, I mean, that, that's really good for somebody his size. So, um, yeah, I mean, he, he, he's, he, he, he's a guy who um, it would, is going to be a good camp fit. I mean, he's going to come in. He's going to work hard. He's going to do those things. I know that's like saying he has a great personality. But <laughs> his athleticism just doesn't jump, j- jump out at you, right. you know. Uh, he was a good tough player fought through so much at Penn State high character all those different things so you know whether it's a priority or whether it's a tryout I think if you get to try it I think you'll have the opportunity to make the most of it uh, and I won't be surprised to see him in a full-blown camp at some point I think it's gonna be tough to make a roster but it's fun to watch guys like this who have been around and overcome a lot and been through a lot with the program uh, you know highs and lows and stuck with it and uh, you know kind of coming out on the other end and getting their opportunity yeah, just for, I mean, his first few seasons on campus, we didn't see a lot of him. He spent a lot of time with the medical staff, and he comes out the other end as uh, being a two-year starter at defensive end, a guy who carried a pretty significant load for this defense. And and now I think he's got a legitimate shot to to be in consideration for, for a practice squad uh, spot when it's all said and done. Uh, those spots are at a premium when, when the summer comes to a close. But I think Tarburton uh, will get into camp, and I think ultimately he's going to get into a camp come August and, and, and be able to, to get some preseason work. Um, Jonathan Sutherland is a guy that – I think we collectively, I'm just double checking here. So we, when we did the UDFA guys, the undrafted guys, we, we labeled them as tryout or priority guys. I had Clifford and Tarburton as priorities. Um, so did, so did these two, uh, the, the discrepancy with Tarburton was, uh, Mark saying that more of a tryout, uh, prospect. We've all got tryout label applied to Jonathan Sutherland. Saw a ton of action in a Nittany Lions uniform. He was a four-time team captain on special teams Never broke through. He started here and there at linebacker, at safety over the course of his career. Never broke through as a full-time first-teamer. Solidly in the two-deep conversation for a while. Um, stretches of his career, he was kind of a, a favorite target, uh, I would say, for Penn State fans, voicing frustrations about the defense. But a guy that I think we all agree, he's a kind of that tweener as a defensive prospect. And the one thing here for him is he's got that coach's mind and he's got that special teams background. And those two things, when you're competing against guys who maybe only have singularly focused at one position on the field throughout college, maybe you can gain an edge against them. But he's got his work cut out for him uh, to make an NFL roster. I think we're all in agreement there. Yeah, I mean, I think he'd be a luxury pickup for somebody that, that you know, an established team that can afford to have a roster spot dedicated to a special teams guy. Uh, you know, again, I think it's going to be an uphill climb for him to get there because he's another guy who's a little bit on the older side. I mean, I hate to even say that because he's still a young guy, but uh, he was, as I said, he wasn't a force at safety. He wasn't a force at linebacker, but he's capable of playing both. You know, I, I know at 205 pounds or whatever, that would be a stretch in the NFL. But if you needed somebody in an emergency and then the ability to, to play on all the different special teams, I think, could work in his favor. So if he's if he has any opportunity to make it, it's going to be in that sort of role. Uh, you know, we see guys who kind of emerge on special teams who don't do a whole heck of a lot otherwise. So I think he would be kind of a luxury uh, addition for one of the upper echelon teams that are kind of stacked just about everywhere and could afford to have a specialist like that. 
Um, in terms of specialists, uh, they've got a few notable ones here. Uh, I mean, you've got Barney Amore, who, who is, did good things for himself in the pre-draft process, was very solid for Penn State as a one-year starter at punter. And then you've got the, the long snapper of the year in college football in Chris Stoll. And, of course, Jake Pinniger, who, who spent a lot of time here on campus. Now, personally, I labeled Barney Amore as a priority phone call for, for NFL franchises. I think he's going to be you, – you want to challenge whoever you've got a punter especially if you're paying that, that, that punter a considerable amount of money and if you can maybe bring a rookie in, take that job. But I think Chris Stoll is going to be very busy because long snapper jobs are at a premium. You're not going to have a couple of them on a roster, but if you can find the right one, and I know one, someone closely who was able to find the right one about 15 years ago, he's still in the league. I've never heard his name really on a broadcast, but he's going to be making pension from the NFL till the day he dies, and he's had a long career making a lot of money being a long snapper. So when we're talking about the best guy in college football at that position last year, maybe he even gets a look in late round seven and we're all sleeping on the crystal here. Uh, but, but those are just some of the remaining players, anything to add on either of those guys. Yeah. I think with Sutherland, uh, you know, he tested really well uh, at pro day. The, the athleticism has, has never really been a question with him. And I think that uh, like Mark said, that it's definitely going to be about fit. Um, if he can find a team that, kind of similar to Penn State in the way that James Franklin invests resources into his special teams units uh, when, you know, it's a little different, you know, apples to oranges, but in terms of the the scholarship allocation that Penn State has within that room, you know, if Sutherland can find a place that's, you know, sort of similar and, you know, willingness to give a roster spot to a special teamer, um, you know, I think that that's something that'll benefit him. But, you know, I agree with with Tyler on on Barney Amore and, and Chris Stoll, um, I think that you know their phones are probably going to be ringing. Um, I think that they're going to get some opportunities to really push some you know established guys. Um, you know if uh, you know if a team feels the need uh, to do that. So you know I think that you know this Penn State special teams unit uh, in in 2022 was you know pretty solid, uh, and I think that that's going to be reflected in in these landing spots uh, this weekend. Yeah, one the guy I'd like to throw out there is uh, yeah. is Jake Pinniger. Uh, mm-hmm. Listen, you know, we've seen both sides of the spectrum with Penn State kickers. You guys are too young to remember, but Robbie Gold didn't have a great Penn State career uh, and then really had to fight his way in the NFL until he got the opportunity. He was actually, I think, first with the with the Patriots behind whoever the Patriots great kicker was. Uh, he actually went okay. to camp. Yeah, just to kind of learn from him. And it took him multiple years. And then later on, we saw Sam Ficken, who uh, – what the, the cool thing about Ficken is he kind of went to work on Wall Street, but then people when people needed a kicker, they knew where to go. So my, my suggestion to Jake Pinniger, not that he needs my advice, <laughs> is to keep at it because you never know. And I'm not saying he's going to be the next Robbie Gold. I mean, that that's kind of – but give yourself the opportunity. Take a couple of years, and you never know how it might play out. You know, it could work out for you in the long term. Does it look like it's going to at this point? Maybe not. But, you know, the cool thing with Ficken is when teams needed help, like late in a the year, they were able to sign him and he was ready to go. So hopefully Pinnegar, uh, I'm, I'm sure he's going to get a look in somebody's camp as a tryout. Uh, but just keep, keep working, keep after it, and, and maybe you'll ultimately get your opportunity. Yeah, he, he's got essentially no track record from beyond 50 yards. Uh, so so that's going to ding him. And yeah. he, the inconsistencies from within 50 yards. But, uh, you know, this is a guy who had stretches and, and, and finished on a higher note than certainly where he was in the 2021 or, or even 2022 or 2020 season. So he, he's he's at least leaving in, in a better spot in his career. And he had another year. He had that COVID eligibility. He could have used – he could have tried to use it here at Penn State. He could have used it somewhere else and try to build a better case and a better season. This was the time for him. He's got his degree. He decided he's going to take a shot. And, and I'll say this. He added something to his arsenal last year. He became that kickoff specialist for Penn State that they were severely lacking during early stages of the season, the consistency there. He kind of took that and ran with it. I mean, he wasn't the best kickoff specialist in the Big Ten, but to have that as part of his resume now – that helps you. And by the way, kicking in front of a hundred thousand people in front of pressure situations versus maybe a, a, a kicker coming in from a very small school and competing against you. Maybe that helps you out when the adrenaline starts pumping on an NFL practice field. I don't know, but Jake Pinniger, uh, like many kickers, uh, it, it may be a short lived professional career, but I'm with Mark. Uh, I think he'll, he'll, he'll take his chance and he'll give it a shot. Um, and when it ends, it ends. That's kind of the life of a specialist. 
Uh, fellas, I, I did tease uh, this 24-7 sports draft uh, at the top of the show that was conducted, and it had 32 picks, and, and, and two of them are from Penn State. But because we're already almost at an hour, and in the sake of uh, May being manufactured content season in the college football world, <laughs> we're going to push that off in the next week, and, 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 and we'll, we'll dive into that. I do want to finish here with some former Nittany Lions. There's an obvious one who is being discussed at the top of the draft board, which is just it's hard to fathom where Will Levis is right now in his football career versus where we saw him here for three years. And really when you kind of match it to what his two-year career at Kentucky looked like and what those results were, but he's going to make a lot of money right off the jump. And he's going to be, it appears a top 10, if not top five pick barring him being the quarterback that slips in this draft. But Daniel, as you documented, when we were putting our heads together for our pre-write content leading up to this weekend, there's some other familiar names from that 2018 recruiting class that was so highly regarded here at Penn State. Yeah, and they're, the other two are two pretty big ones uh, from that class. You know, you've got Justin Shorter, um, who played wide receiver at Florida uh, after a couple of years at, at Penn State, and then Zach Kuntz, who finished up um, at Old Dominion uh, after transferring out of Penn State. Um, I think Koontz is going to be the the really interesting one um, ahead of the season. He got, you know, a lot of buzz. Um, you know, he was on Bruce Feldman's freaks list. You know, he was really, you know, highlighted as, as someone to know at, at a lower level of, of FBS football. Um, and then when he went to the combine, you know, he really blew it out of the water um, athletically. You know, I was going through and, and collecting all of Brenton Strange's uh you know, numbers from that when I did a roundup and, you know, Zach Coons was at, at the pretty much at the top of all of them. Um, so I think that that athletic profile um, is something that a, a team is going to want to get in there um, and, and get a closer look at. So, yeah, I think that, you know, Coons is someone that we're going to be hearing on, on day two um, shorter. Uh, I feel like with some of these wide receivers, it, it's hard to pin them down a little bit. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that the, you know, the size is there, you know, some of the athleticism is there. Um, it's just going to be, uh, you know, up to the, you know, in the eye of the beholder, uh, whether or not to use a pick on him. Yeah, Zach Koontz was one of two highly rated tight ends in that 2018 recruiting class. The other, of course, Pat Fryermuth, and then Justin Shorter, the number one overall receiver recruit in 24 seven sports rankings for 2018 swinging a miss on that one. Um, but uh, a guy whose storyline has been kind of here and there over his college career and, and now trying to jump to the NFL. Um, a lot to look at in the upcoming days. The NFL draft coverage will be coming fast and furious at Lions247.com. Uh, by the way, the roster additions and, and changes have been coming fa fast and furious for Penn State basketball. So before we step aside here, Puff Johnson, step on up. North Carolina forward transferring to Penn State, making that announcement on Thursday. Just wanted to get some feedback from you guys because this roster and people on our board are starting to take note. If you project things out, if you think some guys are going to stick, if you start to add the pieces up, maybe things aren't so bleak as they appeared when March, when mid-March rolled around and, and, and Micah Shrewsbury left town. Yeah, I like Puff. I like the addition of Puff. I mean, the people at North Carolina really like him. Uh, it sounds like he just wanted to get a little bit closer to home. He's from Moon Township or, uh, uh, initially. Well, he spent most of his life at Moon Township before moving out to the Phoenix area. I assume to be with his brother uh, for his senior year of high school. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if anybody's a Sixers fan and you saw what Cameron Johnson was able to do against the Sixers, if this kid has a fraction of that talent, uh, you know, I think he's a really nice addition at what six eight and you know small forward, very skilled player. Again, they liked him at Carolina, um, and, and I think he's going to be a, a really nice fit for them. And you know, I like the job Rhodes and company are doing, but in, in slowly but surely putting this thing together. And it just goes to show you in the age of the transfer portal, you know, everybody was panicking. Like, look out, are they even going to have a roster? And I think they're going to end up having a, a, a decent roster. Uh, it's going to depend on if anybody else, you know, decides to stay and who else they're able to bring in. But clearly, they've done some nice work in that transfer portal. And and Puff Johnson, to me, a good player. Daniel, since you were taking in the Mike Rhodes introductory press conference to where we are now and how things have evolved with personnel for Penn State basketball, would you consider the Nittany Lions currently ahead of the curve? at par for the course? Or I don't think anyone's going to say they're behind the, the pace. So where do you see this? Yeah, I think they're pretty much much par for the course. I mean, you had so many. Um, you know, at one point there were only two scholarship guys on the roster. You know, when you factor in all the departures and, and the guys who are in the portal, so yeah, you know, it was going to be a, a really you know kind of long road. 
I know that there was talk about, you know, a number of VCU guys, uh, you know, transferring to Penn State, you know, but that's, you know, easier, you know, that's easier done on paper, you know, talk about bringing a, a whole team to a new school. So, you know, I think that it's slowly but surely. I think that patience has really been you know, the way to go here. You know, you're up to seven guys. Um, it is. It will be interesting to see. You know, for you know guys like Baldwin and Kern, the VCU transfers, and then Hicks, the Temple transfer. You know, it, it stepping up to the Big Ten. You know, from the A10 and the American. You know, that is a little bit of a difference. So, I think that I think that they're going to be able to be you know competent you know, compete in the big 10 with, you know, their, their peers, you know, maybe give some teams some scares. Um, and that's just where things stand right now. You know, it can look a, a lot different, you know, by the end of the day, by the end of the week, you know, by, by the end of May. So, you know, I think that Mike Rhodes has done a really good job. Um, you know, I think that, you know, there will be a, you know, there's going to be a good level of competence. You know, there's a good influx of talent and I'm really excited to see what this looks like once it's on the court together. And beyond the transfer portal, Tyler Calvaruzzo has done a good job. Uh, what the buzz is from the high school recruiting landscape, remember Penn State got cleaned out with their 2023 recruiting class, all the high school seniors, uh, the, the three that they had coming in. So uh, it reboot there, reset. There are some interesting uh, available options on committed recruits out there. Tyler Calvaruzzo has been doing a great job there. Also covering the transfer portal uh, when it comes to football. That is going to be closing that open window that we discussed post-spring ball, closing on Sunday. So uh, – Good weekend to be in tune with that. You'll see a lot of draft updates, but I think you're going to see some portal movement as well as it relates to Penn State, maybe some new targets surfacing. I had a piece up on, on Wednesday regarding the cornerback room as it moves forward with the departure of Storm Duck, who quickly resurfaced uh, with uh, the Louisville Cardinals for the 2023 season, the second transfer of 2023. But that's going to do it for a wrap uh, for now. We could go on for another hour with the kind of content that, that April has produced on the Penn State beat. But we'll, we'll stop there. You guys enjoy your draft experience, however you plan to partake. And I'll catch up with you both real soon. For our listeners out there, we're back with two more episodes next week. A lot to discuss. We'll recap the draft results, break down the latest in Penn State recruiting, and get May started with some of that, as I said, manufactured content in the form of this 24-7 expert draft that features some notable Nittany Lions. We'll talk to you real soon. I'm stepping aside for now. Tyler Donahue, this has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.